You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So I let my subscription to the Catholic Herald lapse some years ago, along with my Catholicism, my belief in the virgin birth, my belief in transubstantiation, uh, along with Catholicism. I let my subscription to the Catholic Herald lapse. It's a newspaper magazine out of the United Kingdom. And the ripples continue to spread from Mark Oppenheimer's uh, piece about me in the New York Times magazine about monogamy, where he kind of used me as the entry point. And uh, I appreciate that, Mark. Very much. I'm happy to be Mark Oppenheimer's entry point whenever he needs one. Anyway, uh, the Telegraph magazine in the UK wrote a story about Mark's story and interviewed me and uh, quoted me. And the Catholic Herald, apparently, or a writer at the Catholic Herald, read the story. Uh, Francis Phillips read it, and he's not too happy. You see, the piece identifies me not only as a homosexual, which he has a problem with. Uh, but also America's leading relationships columnist, which I kind of have a problem with. I hope I'm not that. Uh, but also, you know, they talk about uh, the fact that I am in a not monogamous relationship. And Francis writes, what in heaven's name is he doing as a relationship advisor? Blah, blah, blah. And his second thought was you can't separate sex from fidelity because, you know, uh, committed yet monogamish relationship is not something that he or the Pope have imagined in their philosophy. Anyway, uh, so he writes and he's, you know, he's a little upset and he nominates someone else who he thinks should be America's top relationships columnist instead of me. And you'll never guess who he suggests would be a better sex columnist, uh, sex advisor for all of you horny Americans out there than me. I hope you're all sitting down. In another life, the Holy Father would have made a terrific relationships columnist, counselor, uh, Francis concludes. This story came out the same week that uh, two groups of sex clerical sex abuse victims filed complaints naming Pope Benedict XVI uh, in their complaints, asking for the International Criminal Court in The Hague to prosecute the motherfucker already for the worldwide child rape a palooza that was the Catholic Church for the last 50 fucking years uh, and the cover-up, which was orchestrated uh, by the Pope in Rome. Anyway, Francis thinks that all you out there should be taking advice from the Pope about sex, not me. You should be listening to the Pope's love cast, not mine. And just to give us a hint, you know, a hint of how clueless motherfuckers can be francis phillips writing in the catholic herald in a piece headlined the holy father would have made a terrific relationships counselor here's why francis thinks y'all should be going to the pope because when i give sex advice and i'm quoting here dan savage isn't thinking about children it's true when i think about sex unlike the pope the very first thing that pops into my mind when I think about sex is not a child. That sets me apart. Because if there's one thing we know now after reading the newspapers for the last 20 years, 
is that the Catholic priests really do think of the children first. Anyway, the Pope's out there. If you want sex advice from a potential indictee in the International Criminal Court in The Hague, if you'd rather talk to somebody who thinks of children first, always, when the subject of sex is raised, I suppose you could give the Pope a call. Maybe he can start a love cast, maybe from his cell one day in The Hague. In the meantime, you fuckers, you all you fuckers out there, you're just kind of stuck with me. Your call's after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm 30, uh, lesbian from Phoenix, and I'm having a going through kind of what I like to call the slowest breakup in the world. Uh, I've been in an on-again, off-again relationship with a woman who has a child, and we don't, we have kind of, have had kind of this understanding for about a year now that our goals were really different, but just kind of biding our time seeing each other. We ended up moving in together in the past couple of months because we're both buying houses and there's like this escrow period in between. Anyway, uh, I always had this feeling that this wasn't really ever going to end unless she met someone else and that that time is now. She's met someone else who uh, could potentially be the partner she wants with the same goals and um, her partner is a man. I don't you know if that makes a huge difference, but um, having a lot more trouble dealing with her finding someone new than I expected and ended up having to move out actually yesterday after a lot of hand-wringing and uh, now, aside from all the feelings I'm having, there is a five-year-old, she has a five-year-old daughter who I've been helping raise since she was two, and trying to figure out how to stay in this child's life without driving myself crazy from seeing her mom all the time, and uh, also her mom and I have had this really close friendship, as lesbians tend to do, and... So she doesn't want that part to end, and I don't know. It's hard to be that close to someone when I can't be with her the way that I want to be with her through circumstance or whatever the problem is. So anyway, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm having a lot of anxiety, and I can't really control how I'm feeling at any given moment, but I'm really trying because I want her to have the kind of life that she wants to have, even when if it's without me. I want to advise you to get in the Savage Lovecast time machine, patent pending. I can send you back uh, in time uh, and you could start all over again and not you know, take what table scraps of a relationship this woman is willing to toss you in place of the relationship that you actually wanted, that you were with somebody who you knew you wouldn't be with long-term, who'd made it clear that you weren't what she wanted long-term, but she valued your friendship so much that until somebody else came along, somebody that she would like more, love more, someone she could picture herself with over the long haul, that she condescended to allow you to help raise her child, to provide her with emotional support, to you know, eat her pussy, presumably. And now along comes... Uh, Person perfect, could have been a mister, could have been a missus, I guess. We'll just call it person perfect, and you're out on your ass. 
you had to see that coming. And I, I don't mean to salt a wound here, but you did have to see that coming. And so you're relatively young. You're just 30. Let's resolve that in future you won't settle for being settled for in quite the same way. As I've said a million times on the podcast, there is no settling down without some settling for. Nobody gets everything they want in a, in a partner or in a relationship. But to agree to be with someone who is treating you so cruelly and to stuff that down, uh, to ignore that, to overlook that because you can or because you could until that other person that she wanted to be with more came along, that's not – the wisest course of action just because you are really setting yourself up for what you're going through now, which is a tremendously painful period in your life where she still wants to keep her hooks in you for whatever reasons that she has and you feel this sense of moral obligation to the child that you have a relationship with because of the relationship you settled for with that child's mother for the table scraps that she tossed you. Now what do you do? You suck it the fuck up. You be there for that kid as much as you can. Uh, you do need to know though that if you do gradually and gracefully bow out of this child's life, the child is unlikely to be too terribly traumatized um, by your gradual stepping back. Um, provided that this woman isn't an unfit parent, provided that this person who comes into her life doesn't create chaos and drama. And I think you would have mentioned if you were the only responsible adult in the room, uh, the only responsible adult in that child's life, if that were the case. So I would, if I were you, not spend too much time with your ex and her new partner uh, because that's way too painful, but be there for the kid. Offer to take the kid for weekends. I'm sure that your ex and her new squeeze would adore having kid-free time together as often as possible. So get into your own place and say, when you want to drop the kid off uh, and have a weekend or have a night, I want to do that. I totally want to be a part of this kid's life as much as I can. But you need to wall off your participation in that kid's life from – having to be exposed to your ex and her current partner because that's just too painful for you and you need to make a break. Maybe in a year or two, you can reestablish the friendship that your now ex values so much that she was willing to cruelly and sadistically put you through what she's putting you through right now, which she saw coming and you but for, I think, your wishful thinking probably knew was coming. Sorry, sorry. And unfortunately, uh, in your case, in many cases, with the calls we get here at the Lovecast, there ain't no savage love time machines. We can't go back and undo this. You're just going to have to, you're going to have to live through it. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is a four-year-old straight male here, a uh, long-time listener, big fan of the show. I'm calling with a question today in regard to, I guess, situation come up in the last year that uh, I was wondering about. Uh, something that kind of seemed like common sense to me, I guess, or something like that. I was discussing with a friend, and he was kind of surprised and appalled, I guess, in a way, about my reasoning. But uh, because um, twice in the last year, I've had a condom break uh, with different women each time. And after that happened, in both cases, it was kind of like for both of us, like, well, whatever the other has, uh, we've got now. So there's, there's no reason to wear 
condoms anymore. And I, I don't know if that really makes yeah. sense because, I, like I said, I talked to a friend of mine. He was like, "No, dude, that's that's not the case. You uh, you really gotta still wrap it up." And and I don't know. Is that after one time, do you, you kind of get whatever the other person has afterwards? I I don't know. I I hope you don't misunderstand this question. It's kind of like an excuse to get out of wearing. I hate him as much as that guy, but I'm really something of a hypochondriac in this regard. And I take this stuff pretty seriously. Uh, I, I have since been tested. Everything's all right. Um, in the future, if a, if a condom breaks, is that kind of about that? Presumably the women you're sleeping with uh, on these two occasions when the condoms broke were also on some other hormonal for birth control because you don't seem at all concerned about uh, sperm cells or pre-cum versus ejaculate. Uh, so I'm just going to run with you know what I, I take to be your question. A programming note for other listeners that if a condom breaks um, and y- there's a big difference between a little bit of pre-cum perhaps leaking out of your dick or having escaped from the condom once it broke and you ejaculating. So of course if you're using condoms for birth control and a condom breaks, you should cease immediately and put another condom on. But when it comes to sexually transmitted infections, you should cease immediately and put another condom on. Because not every exposure to uh, a, a virus or a bacteria uh, takes that there are people who sometimes require multiple I – mean, there are people cut from takes. It can take multiple exposures uh, to acquire a sexually transmitted infection from an exposed partner. Not every exposure results in transmission. So even if the condom breaks or with somebody the condom breaks, you realize it. Uh, you don't instantly then have transferred to you every sexually transmitted infection that they have. Uh, you don't instantly then have transferred to you in a flash of blinding light every sexually transmitted infection that they currently have if they should have any. Um, they may not be shedding the virus. There may not be the kind of you know blood or tear or open sore, whatever you uh, need going on with your dick for you to um, uh, uh, take in whatever they're exposing you to. There are some sexually transmitted infections that are easier to acquire than others. But yeah, you should instantly, once you realize the condom breaks, it's not like, oh, the condom broke, Yahtzee, now we don't have to worry about that anymore and now we can fuck. You should put another condom on. And if you experience regular breakages, you should look at your condom's expiration dates. You should look at the kinds of condoms you're using. Uh, make sure they're not old. Make sure they're not wrong for your dick. You know, dicks come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and so do many condoms. And your dick with a particular condom can create a stress point on that particular condom that results in it rupturing every time or very frequently. So if you've had these two experiences with the same brand of condoms, switch brands. And some guys have these experiences with just about any condoms, male condoms. Those guys should switch to female condoms because those fuckers don't break. You could park your car in a female condom and it's not going to break. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Super Sad True Love Story, a novel by Gary Steingart. It is a brilliant peek into the coming economic and social collapse of our culture. And it's hilarious. Uh, And you should really uh, give it a listen, if not a read. For a free audiobook of your choice, and again, I recommend Super Sad True Love Story by Gary Steingart. 
Go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a straight uh, 22-year-old male in college. Um, had a scenario come up uh, very recently wondering if I handled it correctly. Uh, one of my friends, uh, he went home with a young lady for a one-night stand um, I saw them leave. They'd obviously both been drinking, and I went home uh, myself. And the next morning, this young lady, um, who I'm actually not really even friends with, and one of her best friends, who is actually a friend of mine, came over, and she felt like she had been uh, sexually assaulted. Um, I was initially uh, concerned, obviously, but to be honest... My, my first reaction in my head was, this sounds vaguely um, made up, only because I, I do know my friend well, and I've, I know he's been in many one-night stands and relationships, and I know the girls well. Um, nevertheless, the issue here was they were making out, and she and they got naked, and she was kissing his chest, and he put his hand on her head and sort of just guided her, and she used the term guided, guided her head down, and she gave him oral sex. His hand was not on her head while the oral sex was going on, and uh, once the oral sex was completed, they ended up spending the night together. So, again, this all seems pretty, pretty, uh, I don't use the hand move myself, uh, but it sort of seems standard fare. Um, So my initial reaction when she told me was um, to sort of protect my friend, and I, I basically told her what she wanted to hear, which was, oh, this was a terrible thing, and I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to make sure he never does it again, and and he's a terrible person, and, and just sort of I protected him, basically. Um, she came away from that conversation feeling like this situation was taken care of, and she didn't need to go to the police or to the administration or anything because I was going to take care of it. Of course, what I actually did was went to my friend and said, hey, man, you need to be concerned about this. Uh, I wouldn't call her. I would try and avoid her at all costs. My question is, did I handle this correctly, or did he actually do something wrong? Um, And if he did do something wrong, what's my obligation now? I hate having to step in and play Solomon and cut the rapes in half uh, or sexual assaults or feelings of violation, trying to determine what actually is a legit feeling because feelings is feelings and – you're going to feel your feelings whether they're particularly legitimate or not, including your feelings perhaps of affection for your friend. Look, if what you're telling me is what she told you and not a version of what she told you that exonerates your friend, you know, I'm hearing, you know, if it all went down the way she said it went down or the way you say she said it went down, it wasn't sexual assault. Uh, it wasn't even particularly coercive. Uh, a hand on the back of the head uh, is a kind of nonverbal communication. And as long as the hand doesn't stay there and somebody doesn't have a dick shoved in their mouth while they're struggling to get away and force isn't applied and you know a no, even if it's a non-physical no, is respected instantaneously, it's not really assault. And my only, I, I want to qualify all this with I only have your account of her account to go on and you say this guy is a really good friend of yours and you thought this was all out of character or her reaction was out of character. So you could be minimizing what went on.
You could be leaving out very pertinent details. Uh, but if it went down the way you said it went down, I would say it wasn't sexual assault. And I don't think you handled it particularly well. You know, telling this girl, uh, this woman, that she was indeed sexually assaulted, uh, if it is exactly – if she described it exactly the way you described it, wasn't a particularly responsible thing to do to say, oh, yeah, my friend, my friend is a rapist. You are right. What you've just described is horrifying and I am going to speak to him. I don't think that that – is wise just because if they're both very young and inexperienced, he clearly needs to know that there are, you know, he needs to obtain verbal consents in the moment as he goes through uh, a sexual encounter with a new person. Um, so he doesn't accidentally step on any landmines he didn't know was there. And she needs to know that not everything that left her feeling uncomfortable or full of regret or even violated rises to the level of a prosecutable offense or something that should be taken to, you say, the administration, I'm presuming a college administrator. Not everything rises to that level. You know, sex is sometimes awkward and people roll around with people they don't know very well and people misread each other's cues and uh, you can walk away from an experience like that. Absolutely. Feeling violated. But I don't think every time you walk away from experience like that, you, you don't need to round I feel violated or I am angry about what went down because it wasn't what I – I didn't enjoy it and in the moment I wasn't speaking up. and But in the moment I felt that person was treating me unfairly or coercively even. Not every instance like that, not every case like that rises a level of legal rape. But before I let this call go and before the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth rush to the phones to receive your angry phone calls, uh, I do want to qualify one more time with this is a secondhand account filtered through a friend of the person who's been accused uh, of behaving in a sexually uh, inappropriate way or even uh, assaulting someone sexually. Uh, but if it was went down again exactly as she described, then I would say it was an assault and I you know, you've asked me to assess your behavior in the moment. I think you should have looked her in the eye and told her that if she described it exactly as you described it. Hi, Dan. Um, love the show. I've actually just become a recent fan. Uh, I'm just calling. In some interview, you had said that not everybody has someone. And I was just wondering, in your opinion, is it weird at 23 to have never had a boyfriend? I'm gay. I guess that's kind of important to say. I've never had a boyfriend. I've never had sex. That it's kind of, is it weird that I've kind of accepted that I'm probably one of those whom you've said don't have anybody with whom I'll have a relationship. Some people wind up alone. I catch a lot of shit for being the only relationships counselor. Whoever says that, you know, even people who feel that the Pope would be a better relationships counselor than I. Uh, never seem to acknowledge that the Pope wound up alone. Look, some people wind up alone. You could be one of those people. You won't know if you were one of those people, though, until you're dead, until you're literally on your deathbed. You, then you will be able to go, oh, yes, I guess I was one of those people who wound up alone. 
all my life. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with being alone. And single people can have rich and rewarding lives full of love and fun, even sex, uh, because sex isn't something you have to be partnered to have. Um, so what you need to do is you need to look at your life and say, I'm going to do things I enjoy, go places that interest me, hang out with people I like, uh, and put myself out there. I'm going to you know, ask people out on dates. I'm going to let people know that I'm available to date. I'm going to take out internet personal ads uh, like all the kids do these days and put myself out there and see what comes my way and then see what comes your way. Probably a boy or two will come your way uh, in your life. You are only 23. That is very young. There are many people who at your age are still very sexually inexperienced, haven't had any relationships to speak of. And that is particularly true for many gay boys because we don't come out as gay until high school or college and our peers are often – our heterosexual peers or heterosexual siblings are often dating in like seventh, eighth grade. And then we come out in 12th grade or sophomore year of college and there we are, you know, 18 or 20 and just starting to date and then having to make the mistakes at 20 that our straight friends and siblings we're getting out of the way at 10 or 11 or 12 or 13. So you have to remind yourself when you've just come out and you're a young gay adult that however old you were when you came out, if you were 22, if you were 21, you're 12. You're 12 years old on sort of the emotional sexual experience plane and you've got to give yourself a break. It's going to take you a little longer to get up to speed than others. You may not have your first serious relationship or your first boyfriend until you're in your you know, mid-20s, depending on when you came out. And that's okay. The trick is not to get bitter. The trick is to live a life that's fulfilling. Whether or not anybody ever comes along and wants to be your partner uh, and then be open to possibility, including the possibility you might be alone all your life and then the possibility you might figure you're going to be alone all your life and then suddenly at 35 or 45 or even 55 or 65, you'll meet somebody. And if you haven't curdled in that time, if you haven't become bitter and angry about having been alone, when you do meet that somebody, you won't repulse them because bitterness and anger at the hand you've been dealt is repulsive and it can drive off people who might want to be with you but for the bitterness. So enjoy, make friends, get out there, put yourself out there, don't get bitter. And you're only 23. I guess a lot of the advice I just gave I think is a little more – it's couched more toward the you know 33-year-old who's in your shoes. You are only 23. Uh, there's plenty of time. It ain't so bad and there's a lot of uh, gay guys uh, in your shoes um, and maybe you can uh, – Find one or two of them and knock boots. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm a 23-year-old gay man living in New York. It's almost 5 o'clock here in the morning uh, here in New York. I just had a fairly traumatic experience. I consider myself a fairly uh, sex-positive individual. Um, I met... Uh, a guy this evening, uh, too, in fact, from Australia, looking for what I hoped would be uh, safe and fun um, three-way situation. Coming to find out uh, upon getting to their hotel room that um, the two of them are HIV positive. 
and not to be, you know, that guy. You know, I didn't get up and run, but I did insist on them using a condom. They told me that they obviously weren't in the habit of doing that since the two of them were in a long-term relationship and uh, both of them were positive. And so I refused to go through with the situation. Coming to feel really weird about it, I guess. I'm just wondering, I guess, how exposed I was. I mean, I'm not completely ignorant of how these things are transmitted. And I mean, we had oral sex unprotected. Um, it never came to, you know, any sort of anal penetration. But um, I guess my question is exactly how worried should I be? Uh, you know, I'm in the habit of practicing safe sex because you can never be too fucking careful. Feeling really guilty about shutting them both down and just bailing on the whole hotel room situation. And so here I am back at my apartment at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, just wondering how I should feel. Oral sex is extremely low risk for HIV transmission. If these guys, both PAWS and both from a country with uh, universal health care for all citizens, Australia, are on uh, a drug cocktail and in treatment and their viral loads are undetectable, um, your odds of having contracted HIV from oral sex, uh, even if you went to completion, and I don't think you should and it doesn't sound like you did, uh, even if they ejaculated uh, in your mouth, very, very, very low. Now, should you be one of the handful of people who got infected via oral sex, it would be no comfort for me to look at you and say, oh, but the risks were so low. If you're the one who pulls the short straw, the short straw sucks, however many, uh, however long the odds were. Um, let's think about that moment back at the hotel room. Uh, you went back with these guys. They were hot. You were you were drunk. It was late at night. They did the right thing. They disclosed. They told you that they were positive so that you then had the option of making an informed choice about what you were willing to do. Now, should pause guys, any guys be out there picking up people in the middle of the night and then springing unprotected anal intercourse on them? I don't think so. I think that it would have been more responsible for them to assume that they would use condoms with a strange partner, particularly a young partner uh, in a new city, just out of consideration. But they did the right thing, the minimum. They disclosed so that you could make a choice. And then you did the right thing. You made a choice to not engage in unprotected anal intercourse with these guys. Uh, and then you did other stuff, other stuff that you enjoyed, but that now in the middle of the night, hours later, you're stressing out over a little needlessly, maybe not needlessly, a little stress is okay. Uh, because there was some small risk there and you're stressing out about it too much. You should stress out about it a bit, uh, because you should think about the guys you're with and what you're doing with them. And what the odds are and what the risks are. Uh, the risks here are low. But I would challenge you with this. If they hadn't disclosed, if they hadn't told you that they were positive, would you have had anal sex with them then? You say that you practice safe sex pretty religiously uh, and for that you're to be commended and it seems like there are fewer and fewer mid-20-year-old uh, guys out there who practice safe sex religiously. 
But what you need – the bullet you may have dodged here is not uh, the oral sex, which is extremely low risk. The bullet is what if these hot Australian guys that you met on a night out in New York hadn't told you that they were positive uh, and they wanted to have anal sex and there wasn't condoms? Would you have made a different choice in that drunken moment in the middle of the night uh, based on the hope that they were negative and the, the assumption that they would tell you if they were positive? These guys, to their credit, told you that they were positive. doesn't sound like they threw a pitch to fit or got angry. It just shifted gears and uh, enjoyed you and allowed you to enjoy them in another way that was much, much safer. But I think that your anxiety is uh, exaggerated based on what you did with these guys. And I wonder if your anxiety isn't being informed – by the knowledge that – the awareness, perhaps conscious, that if they hadn't disclosed, you might have taken a much, much greater risk. And so you should think about that and worry about that and worry about the guys you're with who don't tell you they're positive because not every guy you're with who's positive is going to tell you that he's positive and not every guy you're with who tells you he's negative is negative because there are guys out there who believe themselves to be negative who have actually uh, seroconverted since their last test and there are guys out there who are positive who lie. All things to bear in mind when you're having anonymous or quasi-anonymous sex, particularly anonymous or quasi-anonymous gay sex. I would encourage you as a young gay guy, as I encourage all young gay guys, just to remove anal intercourse from the hookup or trick or hookup menu, that anal is not a first aid activity just to be on the safe side, which is or which is where you say you'd like to be. Hi, Dan. This is Anna from Canada. So I just had a one-night quick stand with a guy in Holland, and he goes to me afterwards. So I have a word of advice. You should shave your pussy. And the thing is, is that I do wax it regularly, but I haven't had time because I was moving countries. So I was just wondering, what do you say to something like that? Fuck you, or if you're not enjoying it, it's your fucking problem. I can't figure out what to really answer in such a situation. So I just laughed it off. This is obviously not something you have to deal with, but... You can enlighten me. I would be very grateful. I'm going to pretend I have a pussy, and I'm going to pretend I just had a one night stand with a guy in Holland, and I'm going to pretend that this guy I just had a one night stand with uh, advised me to shave my pussy, which I sometimes do wax. So it's not like shaving my pussy or being hairless is something I oppose for political or you know up with people reasons. I don't know. How would I react? What would I say? Well, it really fucking depends. I, I, I wish you could have videotaped this exchange so I could assess what was going on. Was he being a dick when he said it? It's not necessarily a dickish thing for someone to express a preference. And if it's a preference that in the past for other sex partners, you've been more than happy to make happen for them, you know, to provide them with the hairless pussy that they prefer. I don't know why you'd get angry necessarily uh, on principle about something that you've already done in the past and are willing to do and would have done at that moment. You know, if he was saying it in this like sneering critical way where you felt condescended to and he was telling you that your pussy wasn't quite up to snuff and, you know, he was 
after the fact, after he'd taken his pleasure with you, and hopefully you took some pleasure uh, with him, and he was just like tossing that over his shoulder on the way out of the room to be an asshole. Well, then, you know, the, the appropriate response is to hurl a shoe at the back of his head before he's uh, all the way out of the hotel room. But if he was just like, you know, chit-chatting and maybe thinking about the next time he's going to have access to your pussy, if this is a one-night stand with, you know, future possibilities, and he said that and it was, you know, it obviously didn't sit right with you entirely, you could just like playfully punch him in the chest and say, yeah, let's wax your balls and we'll wax my pussy. We'll do it together. And, you know, sometimes I wax my pussy. It's not waxed right now. Sometimes I'm natural. Sometimes I'm not. It could have been the beginning of a conversation if he didn't roll it out in a dickish way. Uh, again, I'd, I'd like to see the videotape. In fact, anybody out there who's having a one-night stand uh, with a man in Holland who'd like to send me the videotape, I'd be happy to review it. Hi, Dan. I am a 24-year-old woman, and I'm trying to figure out if I am bisexual or heteroflexible. I have only had relationships with men. I really enjoy sex with men. I also like kissing girls. I like touching them. I like touching their skin. And, you know, I like breasts. I've always kind of been a very touchy person with all my friends. Um, I find many women attractive. But I've never really been, like, sexually attracted to a woman. Like, I've never felt myself get super aroused. But at the same time, when one of my best friends had a, uh, like, dated another woman, I was actually really jealous that she didn't ask me out. Um, so am I heteroflexible or am I bisexual? You're the only person that I can really trust to give me a straight answer. No pun intended. It sounds like you like the attention that feeling desired by all comers provides you with. It doesn't sound like you're bi. You know, the crucial, you know, few words in your calls, I've never been aroused by a woman. Like, women don't make you wet. You don't want to fuck women. You like to fuck men. You're with men. But you're not in any way homophobic, which means that sometimes there's certain sensations or social interactions with uh, members of your own sex uh, you find to be pleasurable but not in a way that is wired right into your pussy not in a way that like arouses you turns you on makes you hot makes you want to fuck i'd say that that's heteroflexibility and not bisexuality but i'm not the best judge of this and i'm sure uh we will hear from the best judges of this in the uh follow-up calls in the next couple of weeks but i definitely come down on the side of heteroflexible hi dan i have a question that i'm hoping you can answer um, about a month ago, you were quoted in an article in The Advocate about monogamish. And um, I was in a long-distance relationship at the time. In fact, I was uh, engaged to this really great guy I'd been seeing for about a year and a half. And he read this article overseas. Um, we were long-distance overseas for the past couple of months uh, due to a job opportunity that he took over there. Anyway, so he called up and um, discussed the possibility of us uh, being slightly monogamish while he was gone. Um, at first, I was a little surprised, not against the idea, but just didn't really know, um, I guess I didn't know how to react at the time. And so I kind of casually agreed, and then the following day wrote him a big email after I had had time to think. Now, I didn't freak out or anything crazy like that. Um, I actually 
wrote a really nice, well-reasoned email basically saying, I'm not opposed to us doing this, but I think there are um, a lot of questions and things we need to consider. And I laid those things out, you know, from down to, uh, you know, how many people, you know, is okay, you know, during a month and that sort of thing. Um, after that, I felt much better about the thing, and I thought we were okay. And a couple days later, he broke up with me. Um, I guess I'm just wondering what I did wrong, because I feel like I kind of extended myself past my comfort zone, um, because I realized that, you know, the difference between us being together and being slightly open versus us not being together, I, I would much rather have been with him than not. Um, to give you a little bit more context in the situation, he basically said that the entire thing had made him think and that he thought maybe he wasn't actually in love with me. Um, anyway, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I don't know how my thoughts are in any way relevant. Uh, the only person who really knows what was going on is your ex-boyfriend, who I think pretty much laid it on the line that, you know, in thinking about transitioning to an open relationship, he realized that he wasn't in love, love with you and decided to end the relationship. It is kind of a PR disaster for open relationships or for monogamish relationships. How many people uh, use the whole open thing as the first step away or the first step toward ending a relationship? Uh, there are people out there who will get a partner to agree to an open relationship because they're not ready to let that person go or they don't have the courage or the decency or the guts to end the relationship honestly. So what they do is they you know, keep the boyfriend or girlfriend that they've got and start auditioning new ones and then they break up with their original partner when they find somebody they would rather be with more. Um, I wish people would knock that the fuck off. Clearly, uh, I believe your boyfriend, when he initiated the, the conversation, you know, he's headed overseas. He's thinking, I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be encumbered. I want to see what I want to play the field. I want to see what my options are. I want to be free. It wasn't that he was opening the relationship because it was the right thing for your relationship, because it was right for the both of you, because it would add fuel to your fire. He's opening up the relationship because he didn't want to feel like he was obligated to you in any way while he was abroad. And just initiating that conversation may have helped him realize that, you know, he didn't want to feel obligated to you in any way because he didn't feel strongly enough about you to live up to his obligations to you. And so in the end, he did the right thing and ended the relationship uh, instead of dragging it out, instead of extracting from you some agreement to be open, uh, under duress because the choice provided to you was give me open or it's over and maybe under those circumstances you would have agreed to open. But it wasn't, wouldn't have come from a joyful place and it wouldn't have come from a place that cemented your bond or brought you two closer together as a couple but from a place where you two were – you know, it would have been a wedge. You were driving into your relationship. It would have pushed you apart and perhaps he realized that. During the conversation, giving him a little credit here, perhaps he didn't realize that when he initiated the conversation, but during the conversations with you, it kind of opened his eyes to what his real motives were and what he really needed and wanted, and he did the right thing by you in ending this relationship. 
Hey, Dan, it's Amy Lang from Birds and Bees and Kids, and you know I adore you, um, but I have a little trek with your mistress, Matisse Call. Um, before I go on, I just want to make it abundantly clear that I am all for people doing whatever the hell they want um, when it comes to consensual sex. I don't care, kinkarama, vanilla, whatever. So my call is not about sex, per se, so that needs to be sort of tabled. It's about trauma, and in particular, those three women in a row, that lesbian who couldn't find anybody to smack her around, and the 20-year-old who was sexually assaulted and going to dom school, and then that the last woman who was triggered when her boyfriend would blindfold her and tickle her. Um, so uh, if you separate all the sex stuff and the mistress Matisse expertise business, um, all three of those women pretty much said, I was sexually assaulted, I was traumatized in some way. And that first woman, she just said things that just shrieked, I need help at me, like the self-loathing and the insomnia and me being uncomfortable in her body. And, oh, yeah, the medicating with a pot and rough sex. Anyway, um, and then that second girl who, uh, I just loved your advice to her about, you know, backing off the DOM training, but... Um, she had been sexually assaulted, and it was clear to me that she was trying to work out that um, with her decision to become a dom. And I think that your advice to her, what she should say to her parents, was great, but I just would have added that she also could have and maybe should say, I kind of got a little off track. I was sexually assaulted. I need some help. And get them to play for some therapy. And because they already think she needs therapy because, of course, they're freaking out because she wants to be a dom. Because people generally just don't get over sexual assault and, in particular, child sexual abuse. They need help and they need help to recover from those kinds of traumatic events. And, again, I'm not talking about the rough sex and that shit. I'm talking about the underlying trouble. And I think you guys danced around the trauma piece with all these women and that it would have been... Um, better for you to recommend that they all get their little heads shrunk. I think that the more we talk about this and the more that you, Dan, listen to that little inner voice that I know said to you, this person is fucked up, they need therapy, especially when it comes to traumatic sexual experiences, I wish you would just say that out loud so people who listen to you will listen to you and get help. So... Um, if you're listening and you're airing this call and you need help, please contact Rain. It's R-A-I-N-N.org and talk to them and find a therapist in your area. Um, I know that paying for this is, can be a problem, but um, it's definitely worth doing. So finally, one last thing, and this is completely not on this topic because maybe you didn't actually say this for once. Would you please stop calling people douchebags? I, I know you think that when you say douchebag, everyone's thinking anal douching. Sorry, that's like 5% of the population. We're all thinking, you're thinking, or you're saying stinky, yucky vagina. I think it's totally degrading to women, and uh, actually, it's totally gay. So how do you like them apples? Anyway, thank you for my little rant and rave, and keep up the good work. And if someone sounds like they've been traumatized, please suggest they get therapy. That's the total... Um, some total of my story and um yeah and no more saying douchebag you anal douchebag hi dan i'm a sex worker calling with comments about episode 255 where you and mistress matisse advise a caller to never ever tell her parents if she goes into sex work i normally agree with you dan but that advice completely fails on both the personal and political levels newbie and would-be sex workers ask me for advice all the time and one of the big questions is always how can i do this without people finding out and I tell them the truth. Your family will find out, your friends will find out, and your boyfriend will find out. It's pretty much a guarantee, and sex work has this sneaky way of being revealed to the one person you'd least want to have find out about it. 
the only thing that you can control is how they find out, and people you love will probably respect you more if you're honest with them than if they catch you in a web of lies. So the question is not, how can I not get caught? It's, how can I be in control of this disclosure? And on the political level, just like with queers and coming out, it's easy for society to discriminate against a group when they don't think they know any of them. Uh, before we can ever get to the point of changing the bad laws that make sex work dangerous, we really need our communities to recognize us as relatable, normal people, and that's not going to happen if we're too ashamed to tell anyone what we do. The caller might benefit from getting involved with the local sex workers' rights group in her area where she could talk about coming out or any other business issues or political issues that she might be interested in. I suggest you check out an international directory of such projects at www.swaay.org slash groups.html or try Googling her city name and sex workers' rights. Thanks. I actually have a comment for the uh, caller on episode 256 who was worried about giving his partners uh, yeast infections. I'm telling you, buddy, you got to wash your hands. It's not your dick, it's your hands. I work with my hands for a living. They got really dirty. I would play with partners, and they would complain about yeast infections. Started washing my hands, cutting my nails, keeping really clean hands, and guess what? Never heard about another yeast infection. So just my advice. Thanks a lot. Love your podcast. Bye. So just a programming note before we go real quick. Uh, as you may know, it's come up a couple of times. I'm going to be taping a television show for MTV this fall. What this means for the podcast, for the love cast, is that I am going to be love casting to you from all over the country. I am going to 12 colleges in 12 weeks to film 12 different college uh, audience Q&As, 12 different Savage Love Lives for MTV. And uh, it should be interesting. It should be fun. Uh, what's going to be taxing for the tech savvy at risk youth back here in Seattle is we will be recording me in diners and the back seats of cars and uh, in hotel rooms in the middle of the night all over the fucking country. So bear with us. Probably be uh, fewer actual live interactions and no interviews in the next 12 weeks uh, with our stable of beloved guest experts. Matisse and Planned Parenthood's Anna Kaminsky and uh, Dr. Barack, who we're desperately trying to convince to please come back on the show, to demean himself at least one more time by doing the love cast. It's just going to be you and me uh, in a hotel room in the middle of the night in Alabama somewhere. Uh, so I apologize in advance if the next few podcasts are a little uh, rough and ready, but we got to do what we got to do. We want to keep the podcasts coming to you, which means we're going to be doing them in the road. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a call. 206-201-2720. Me and the Tech Savvy Outreach will be back at you next week. Live, in my case, not their case, live uh, from Auburn University. The deepest, darkest, Alabama. 206-201-2720 is the number. Give us a buzz. Talk to you soon.